Hello again, and welcome back to the BSF Lecture Talks. I'm Matthew. I'm Abraham Lee, the teaching leader for the San Francisco region, and today we're going to be looking at a wrap-up of the reflections I had in my studies through Matthew, and I hope that maybe we can share more about each other's reflections through our group meetings this evening as we meet together. Or if you've already met, I hope it's been enriching to hear what other brothers had to say as they've joined you in this study and reflection on the book of Matthew. So, before we begin, I have a few announcements, final announcements for you to be thinking about. Please sign up for the next fall term study, which begins in September. Sign up is early, so if you can get in touch with your uh, administrator, you can sign up there, or you can let your group leader know that you will be continuing on. If you are not continue, continuing on, that is even actually more important, so they can take you off the list. So you won't be getting emails and um, and they won't put you on the roster for next year. And that's important so that they know how many people are coming back to be able to have a good accurate count of available seats uh, to a lot for new people joining in. So if you could just uh, let your group leader know, that would greatly help us out. Secondly, remember that BibleSF.com is your uh, resource to be able to obtain all the links to news and resources that are available for you in terms of buying a new manual for this coming September, finding out the latest news, and also to be able to acquire and uh, purchase swag to show your loyalty and your spirit for BSF. And I think in the uh, BSF swag store where the books are sold, they are also uh, making available t-shirts and hats and some other things. I'm not sure what they've come up with uh, since I looked there last. But yeah, if you have any questions and concerns, feel free anytime to reach out to us by email. And that email form is on that BibleSF.com site. And remember, thirdly, that if you are wanting to continue and not have this lull throughout this extended summer period, it's more than three months, it's running around four months of break, that's a third of a year. And so a third of a year not doing much about you know being intentional and deep in your study of God's Word is actually taking away your, um, from having your heart and mind on the things of God in Christ. And so I want to encourage all of you, if you do have some time, you might want to join in with this Menlo, Menlo uh, Church group uh, started by Lawrence or Larry Wilson. So his information is available here. His study is going to go from June 7th to August 13th. That's roughly about nine weeks, and they're studying the book of Job. To enroll in this study, uh, just contact him by email or phone number or phone. Uh, his number is available there and he will sign you up. There are two class formats available for this session uh, during the summer. In person, groups are going to be meeting in Menlo Church, uh, and you're gonna be sitting in front of a live lecture as well after the discussion. So they're gonna run the session the traditional way. And then there will also be virtual small groups, uh, which will be exclusively online. And so uh, please make avail of this opportunity. There's no fee as with all BSF uh, sessions, it's entirely free. And I do believe that they're making also the materials entirely free and uh, digital. Uh, so you can access that through links that they provide. They're very organized. I went through it last summer and it's incredibly very well organized. It's open to all men and their children. So if you're a, um, a man in our group, a brother in the Lord, please feel free to reach out to Larry. 
And um, finally, also remember that if you are wondering about the schedule and when things are getting started and how things are proceeding, remember to check online at BibleSF.com, our local San Francisco website, where we continue to update with the latest information on what's going on. So let us begin. Let me begin by sharing just a few things that had been going through my mind. So what do you get after studying Matthew? You know, one of the questions that keep coming up for me, and I am a, uh, I teach uh, students and young adults typically have a, a lot of problems in their lives, uh, kind of distilled down to a couple of questions regarding what is the meaning of life? <laughs> what is the meaning of their life, their personal life? So one of the most difficult things people have trouble with is understanding kind of the direction of their life, where it's heading, and what they're supposed to be about doing. So in the business world, we call that understanding their strategic direction. And then and then secondly, they they want to know um, who that who will accept them into their tribe or their group or the community to help them grow into the kind of people that they should be, the better and best person that they can be under the mentorship and the communal aspects of being part of a vibrant uh, group of people who are all journeying together toward the same destination. So knowing that they have good, smarter people around them, helping them get to their destination is quite important. But young adults, and perhaps even older adults too, lack this. You know, even CEOs of companies know that among all the distractions in the world, identifying and keeping to the most important road ahead of them, the direction that they need to be taking, that's worth taking for the long haul, is critical to their focus. They know that the goal and the journey has huge payoffs if their journey has a meaningful destination and that there's enrichment and learning along the way. And that wonder and thrill from discoveries along the journey are very important as well if you're with the right people. So then having the companions who go with us along the way, kind of like when you're hiking through the trails up toward perhaps a mountaintop uh, destination. If you've ever gone hiking, uh, you know how this works. Having good companions to go with you to point out things to us that we might have missed or calling attention to things we didn't have the ability or wherewithal to notice and appreciate deeply on our own. You know, what's being held out to us all the time. We, we might, you know, gloss over at times because we get so distracted. Or sometimes because life is arduous, we keep our eyes to the floor and not notice what's going on around us. So a really good companion, uh, the camaraderie of brothers, good teachers, does that. They point out the important things to us that we inadvertently just admit. And they help us learn what they mean so that we can apply the truths of what we observe to our lives. So Matthew shows us believers the direction and goal of our lives as followers of Jesus. Jesus teaches us that he is the fulfillment of everything God has said, that he will do, that he is doing, and that he will continue to do as he had said through the prophets and now through the direct teaching through his son, who John said was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then Paul throughout many of the epistles says, it, and Colossians and Hebrews and Romans says that Jesus is the exact representation of God and his heart. And so Jesus has taught us that 
in the book of Matthew that we've been created not just for this world. We get so caught up in this world, right? So caught up in trying to aim for that white picket fence house and the extensions of life that we think we're gonna it's gonna make us happier the car the holidays the fancy trips and the clothes and the the partying and the revel reveling well we've been created for much more than this this is a waylay place jesus taught us that we were created for a kingdom far greater and more meaningful than the one that we know here uh, from this world but that sin has obstructed our view and our understanding of that and our distance us ourselves disqualified ourselves from being the kind of citizens in god having the right heart mind and the spiritual qualifications to merit any of what he has planned and so how important it is that he is really emphasizing our preparation needed for entering into that kingdom and so among the reflections I had through the study of Matthew, I, I remember also and thought deeply about the sheep as a metaphor for who we are. You know, sheep is one of those creatures that cannot survive on its own. It only survives because of its commercial use and purpose uh, to humanity, to people. And without it, it wouldn't be able to prosper. You know, sheep, it, it, it thrives on, on basically very little effort. It, it eats grass and produces tons of wool i mean it just grows and grows hair uh someone was telling me it grows pounds of hair in a month it just if you leave it alone and take good care of it feed it well but un unfortunately the sheep is not able to look out for himself it's defenseless and furthermore it has very poor vision someone told me uh, uh, someone who was taking care of sheep for a living told me they cannot see more than two meters ahead of them and so that's roughly about six feet so the sheep lacks understanding of its own limitations, right? Just like we have. Uh, enjoying the protections of the shepherd while oblivious to how he does this for us in such a loving and gracious way. But until the time we face risk and adversity and attack, so, you know, we don't, we're, the sheep has uh, a tendency to exhibit a great deal of pride and, um, and self-sufficiency until it is under threat or is caught in some bramble that it can't, or trap that it cannot come out of, but on its own, and then it starts to cry. The shepherd dictates the purpose of our lives, and he watches over us, over us with such, such uh, deep and undivided care and attention to who we are and what we become for him it's not a nine to five job a shepherd's job is ongoing 24 7 365 all year long jesus makes quite an exclusive statement about himself in the scriptures as being the only gate whereby salvation can be obtained and he leads us into pleasant pastures into sheepfold boundaries where in which we can flourish whether it's a garden or a sheepfold or a vineyard all of which are bounded managed places under god's rule and sovereignty it is within these boundary places that we grow and flourish in it they are the boundary conditions spiritually physically mentally wherein humanity can exercise the giftings and the skills and the understanding and all the things that we've been given to see them 
being exhibited and put into practice and see them flourish. So there are boundaries all over the place, the physical world, the social cultural world, in organizations, in the workplace, in the family, uh, and spiritually as well, the moral boundaries that we live in. And when we observe those boundaries with one another and within the cultural context and in the spiritual context, as well as in the physical context, we can flourish. Oftentimes, though, we want to live outside those boundaries. We want to push away the boundaries, but those boundaries are important because they are God-imbued, God-established. And the fascinating stories that we often hear about are people who, either through a hubris and pride and defiance and or ignorance, persist in going beyond into the unbounded space, often leading to devastating results. Uh, another way to think of sin is to love that place apart from God and his shepherding fold. And so he does allow in this world for us to test those boundaries and wander off, but we do get into trouble and God seeks us out, right? And he brings us back and we remember how important and how wonderful is his shepherding um, role, his shepherding love in our lives. And then another thought I was thinking through in this study was this role uh, of context, right? In the time Jesus lived in Jerusalem, there was the Roman domination. And uh, many of the Jews were looking for a Messiah, but they had a tendency to look for the Messiah from their preconceived notion that he would be the strong Rambo type figure, a leader, uh, kind of a man's man, a militaristic leader who could reclaim Israel from the powerful pagan control of the Roman Empire. So how would this have contaminated, I was thinking, the people's minds and their prejudice they had for looking for this kind of leader and a savior, a savior with a small s, not the capital S. So the small s is the political messiah and not the greater savior of ourselves who could really change us for, from the people that we are kind of locked and enslaved to our own sins. And uh, a greater picture of this that I, my mind kept going back to is that to get an accurate picture of what Jesus did in his ministry, we have to go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament and especially what Moses, the prophet Moses was able to share through the book of Genesis and Exodus. Because much of what Jesus did to save us the full portent of that, you can't really understand unless you understand Passover, unless you understand the captivity and enslavement in Egypt, and unless you understand how difficult that was in slavery to be kept apart from worship and from every good human potentiality because you were a slave. And then the freedom that ensued because the Lord, through judgment, brought on satanic influences and entrapment. He liberated through Jesus. And Moses is an archetype of Jesus, right? He's a symbol of Jesus in the future. And he liberates them and gets them through the waters. And the waters, as they're passing through the Red Sea, this impossible sea, through their to their deliverance, is why we have the baptism today. And the imagery that baptism provides for us of cleansing from our sins cleansing through the waters, right? And so Jesus himself, after he's baptized, just like the Jews, he is reenacting and showing us how significant 
those days were in emblematically showing us and symbolically, allegorically pointing to what Jesus will be doing in his life, in his incarnation with us. Because after he gets baptized, what, what does he do? He goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And if you remember, as the Jew, as the Hebrews are liberated and they enter, they refuse to obey and they wander in the wilderness in their defiance for 40 years. But in Jesus, we'd see not defiance, but complete obedience, where every human temptation for lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life is overcome with the word of God. And he triumphs over that as a preface before he enters into and embarks on his life ministry to us, teaching us and leading us into all good things that God has for us as an inheritance and his proclamation that he is providing us the promised land, which is not of this earth, but the kingdom of God to come for which we have been created. How powerful is that? But if we get stuck in the human way of th thinking, and this is what's always a trap, is that we're looking for the political leader, the handsome, the tall, the muscular leader, in this time and space within the context of what we tend to be thinking about we're going to miss out on understanding the true image of god as de depicted by christ himself so this ongoing tendency to seek out a messiah for our localized and personalized problems and not the global and the cosmic ramifications of the greater messiah for all humanity can be a trap in our thinking and we know we need a Messiah. I mean, just look at the events all around us today, whether in Europe and uh, just, and it's not just in Europe, folks. You, you know very well that the vast majority of humanity is going through times of great turmoil and trial throughout the whole earth. The Bible shows us in this passage that we are like the Pharisees oftentimes too. When we get so caught off, off track that we get involved in our own misinformation and our own false ideas and we misunderstand our own problems and the only way out of that is to read through and understand our problems from how Jesus helps us to understand them and to start afresh and anew through the redemption and the power of atonement that he provides that has that can only permanently change us nothing else can Interestingly, not everyone has difficulty with doing this, uh, coming to an understanding, a fruitful and true understanding of Christ. But some of us do have much difficulty in overcoming our worldly bias because we're just so, so embedded in this world and thinking like this world in regards to everything. We continue to have difficulty having the mind of Christ. But in Matthew, what's quite fascinating is the woman who gave up their presuppositions and assumptions and expectations of life, those are the ones on the margins that were gladly listening to Jesus and taking what he said as true and real. And they were the ones stepping into the reality of everything he said he would do, such that even while all the other disciples were distracted by other things, they were busy buying perfume and anointing him before his ascent to Calvary. And then they believed that he would be raised to life on the third day. 
They were the first eyewitnesses to that fact. So why is this important? Well, because we cannot come to him with old wineskins to take in new wine as he had said before. See these old biases that we have, the worldly way of thinking, the endless bucket list that we surround ourselves with, the constant busyness of accumulating worthless and useless things that don't have any bearing for the kingdom of God to come, right? And failing in the process of keeping ourselves busy with endless frivolities and worthless things uh, that don't add anything to the kingdom of God to come. He's asking us to be obedient and making disciples and preparing and investing into the kingdom of God. That's, that's eternally significant. And yet we get so bogged down by the, by the avalanche of frivolous things that don't account for anything. He's given us his word to acquire new wineskins for the precious things that he wants to fill us up with, to fill our minds with, to give us a new purpose. If we are not living into it, we will feel uh, in Christ, we will feel very much out of tune and out of sync, out of line with the master's will. So let us be working with purpose toward the destination that he's given to us. And finally, my last uh, reflection is on Easter. And I just came to think how vital Easter is to Christian faith. Probably, you know, more so than Christmas, because if Christ had not risen, if Jesus did not rise, then everything else is hopeless and meaningless. Christmas, there wouldn't be any point that Jesus was born if he didn't rise from the dead. His resurrection is central to all human history and to God's plan. So I think on afterwards about the 500 witnesses. They all had their direct witness of the risen Savior. And then you might think a convergence of stories might arise, you know, people kind of hearing each other and then the stories and witnesses kind of converging on a singular story. But what we see is something quite different as well. We see in the gospel a fruitful and faithful accounting from different eyewitnesses, different teachers who are telling us different and emphasizing different details of their life and walk with Jesus. So on the one hand, while, you know, when we see something and so many people have witnessed the same thing, there is a tendency to corroborate the details and the descriptions together so that there's kind of people are trying to seek out a unity in their understanding. But what you see in true accounts, and if you've ever gone to jury duty or if you've ever been in a situation where, you know, telling the truth is utmost importance, like in the courtroom, what they typically do is they don't have, they sequester witnesses and they keep them apart because they want to hear each witness tell their own account of what actually happened. And what you hear when you hear all these witnesses tell their story is that no account is the same. They all bear witness of the same event by emphasizing and describing different aspects. Now, those aspects are not contradictory as much as they they corroborate with one another, but they complement each other. They supplement aspects that one person might have missed that the other person caught, while at the same time, they accentuate and point out identical features of the same event. And that's what we see in the gospel. Identical, important features that are heavily emphasized, while the minor details might differ slightly. Not 
in opposition to each other. They don't contradict each other, but they give a different rendering from a different perspective from the different people that are giving witness to them. And then I also reflect on how uh, the religious leaders were trying to uh, create a situation where they wanted to facilitate or to promote a lie. This lie that the disciples stole them in the middle of the night, even as the tomb was guarded by soldiers of the empire and the religious rulers. Now, recall that in the, you know Peter, although he's known to be brash and forthright, this Peter is the same Peter that at the slightest accusations by a servant girl, he denied and he denied and he denied, and then he ran off. He was afraid of a certain servant girl and what she could have started. Do you think these men had some kind of unusual personality or stamina or charisma to start a mass revolution based on a lie? To they, that they would go in the middle of the night and put their lives at risk before armed soldiers to take possession of a dead body from a tomb that was heavily guarded and but also uh, had the mouth of the tomb or the entrance obstructed by a major, major uh, stone that was not easy to roll away. So all these account po accounts point to how very ordinary and unobtrusive the disciples were. They were the most rough around the edges, agricultural workers, tax collectors, and you know these minor characters in the society that you could think of. Two months later, Peter was standing in the temple courts, giving an emboldened and fearless witness to the risen Christ. So for those people who deride the authenticity of the risen Christ, we have to look at the followers. These were very ordinary folks who were easily scared off. And the best of them, Peter, was scared off by the accusations of a servant girl. So what could have made how, what could have what could have happened here? What do you think it was delirium? Was it guilt? Was it something about uh, I don't know what they ate the night before? No, the truth is Christ met them. Christ met Peter. Christ restored Peter, and that's what propelled and energized Peter to be the one of the founders of the church, right? Teaching and obeying because he knew when he was restored, he was not going to be that that. Uh, that scared, the scared runaway that he w became, right? So no one knowingly and willingly dies for a lie. But all of these disciples apparently died for the Christ that they met and that they were greatly impacted by. Those who knew him, Jesus, those that saw Jesus know how extraordinary Jesus was. And they gladly left everything behind and even laid down their lives for him, and this changed the world. Well, why does this matter? Because two things. If Jesus is not risen, then we are all dead in our sins, and Jesus is a fraud. But Jesus is not a fraud. He fulfilled all the prophecies, and someone says actually there are 600 different prophecies regarding the Messiah, and every single one of them, this Yeshua, our Messiah, fulfilled in his lifetime. And then secondly, he rose to continue to continue the rollout of all of God's future plans. So this is not about, okay, now we're saved and we can go about living our lives as usual. No, that is far from the case. If you know the gospel, the gospel is about future 
envision a future rolling out of every so many things the fulfillment of everything that god wanted to do but couldn't because of our sins now he can get along get on with the bigger things to come there is so much more left to be moved into place by the creator that we cannot even begin to imagine in this life we are not mealy worms or gnats you know mealy worms and gnats you know they live for only a few minutes to a few hours we are not here folks to live a few hours and to just evaporate meaninglessly purposelessly and aimlessly we have not been created for that we know that we have been created for a greater purpose it's deep within our hearts the trick of our minds is that we are easily led to think that we are made to enjoy the pleasures of this life and then to just kind of resign ourselves to whatever lies beyond and that is not an option that Christ gives us I've heard people lying on a lounger on a cruise ship exclaim oh i'm made for this life they're on a beach site saying oh i'm made for this life or a person telling his lover oh i've been made for you or you're made for me so clueless so clueless right based on what christ has taught us of who we are and what we have been truly made for what we can the only things that can happily satisfy us and give us ex eternal joy is beyond and <laughs> what the world can provide we are discontented creatures really happy one moment and not the other realizing the next thing we're going to be totally wrong with our thinking about things we are so emotionally haphazard and capricious what we were created for according to jesus was for the creator himself without whom all other things are abandoned washed up old and outdated things much like we ourselves will become without him so god is in the business of restoring the defaced images of his image in our faces he is the sun he is the light he is the truth it all begins with god and so let us pray heavenly father we rejoice in you and we rejoice in the son our lord yeshua our messiah who has said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through Him. You've made it very clear who the Yeshua is, our Deliverer and our Savior. And you have made it clear that it is only through the waters of your baptism in the Spirit that we are saved. All men comes only through you, and we thank you for your word that it doesn't end here, but you are ushering us and preparing us and calling us to join you in preparing and calling others to the great kingdom beyond, the future that has no end, but the future of great, great workings of God to be revealed still yet. We have not been made for the petty and trivial things of this life, but oftentimes we get so swept into it. Forgive us, Father, and help us to be faithful to the calling that you've called us to, to be your people, warning and bringing others' lost souls into the fold. We thank you for yourself. We thank you for your great, great love. You are a shepherd that does not abandon us. And we rely entirely on you so that we can have focused eyes, living a life of purpose and direction in the spirit of the Lord. We thank you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.